If you have your Bibles, you can grab them quickly. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Apostle Paul says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, if, if, I'm, if I'm preaching a message and I'm teaching the Word of God in a way that you're understanding it with an anointing from God and I'm preaching the paint off the walls and you're excited about that, or... I'm speaking in my heavenly language, and you don't have a clue what I'm saying. And I'm, in, I'm engaging with the angels of heaven. Whether I'm doing either, either one of those, no matter which one I'm doing, but I do not love. I've become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but do not love, I am nothing. And if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Jump to verse 8. It says this. Love never fails. Someone shout love. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and so we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Goes on. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Verse 13. And now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these three is love. Someone else shout love. Love. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love that casts out all fear. We thank you for the love that covers a multitude of sin. And I just pray today that this word would find fertile soil in our hearts, producing the fruit for your kingdom, 30, 60, and 100-fold, Jesus. I pray that right now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Listen, before you're seated, hug seven people. Tell them you're loved, seven people, the number of completeness. You're loved, you're loved, you're loved. No, but look, man, we ain't got much time here, so I'm just going to hop right into this thing. We're going to jump right in, into it because we got a lot to get to in a very short time to get to it. And so, look, over the, the, we've been in this series, right, titled House of Miracles. Matter of fact, how many of you enjoyed this series? Have you enjoyed the series, House of, House, House of Miracles? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been great, man. God's really, I enjoyed, I enjoyed teaching it and studying for it because God's been revealing all kinds of things through it. And so it's, it's been a, a privilege of mine and an honor to do that. But we've been in this series now, 27 weeks. I think it's the longest series we've ever done, uh, 27 weeks. And, and it's amazing, but today is finally the final message in this series, The House of Miracles. We'll be, we'll be moving on to, to what we feel like God is speaking to us next. And, but what we've been doing as a, as a church family is actually really simple because the purpose behind the series is found in the title of the series, right? House of 
of miracles. Come on, tell your neighbor, this will be a house of miracles. Tell them, this will be... Yeah, it's found right in the title. It's right in the title. See, see, the purpose of this series is to reveal to the church, to the body of Christ, to the bride of Christ, right? To the people that God has called by his name that we should be walking in the supernatural. We are a people who should desire the supernatural. We should be walking in signs and wonders. Listen, a group of people who walk and talk like Jesus walked and talked, that means miracles and signs and wonders follow them wherever they go. That should be the church. Maybe a a better way to say that would be this way. Not simply that it should be the church, but that it will be the church. Jesus will see to it that it will be his church and how his church operates in the days and the years ahead of us. And look at me. This is not me saying something just out of hype or to get some kind of, of emotional reaction from you, but... But I do hope it gets you hyped, and I hope you get emotional and excited about, about that. But, but it's more than that. It is, it is our mandate as believers. It's what God has spoken over his church. See, in John chapter 14, verse 12, Jesus says it very clearly and very plainly. He says, truly, truly, which in the Greek is amin, amin. If you guys have been here any amount of time, I've done a word study for you on this word, amin, in the Greek, which means there's a finality to what I'm about to say. Let it be so, before he even says it. That's amazing to me. Let it be so, I'll tell you what I'm going to let be so. And right after that, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me. Come on, someone shout believes. Whoever believes, and the Greek word is pistio, right? Whoever pistios me, which means puts their full trust in me, full confidence in me, the one that has surrendered their life over to me, not the one that just says they've heard of me or shows up to a church service every now and then. No, no, no. The one who pistios me. Man, they will do the works that I do, and even greater works than these will they do because I'm going to be with the Father. Jesus here is giving clear direction to the church, giving the church their purpose. He's spelling out their mandate very clearly. This isn't a parable. There's no hidden meaning. It's straight in our grill. We don't have to look any deeper than what the text says. You will do even greater works than these because I'm going to be with the Father. Those who believe in me, pistio me, because, verse 13, because Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father is glorified through the Son. This is, this is what he says. And then verse 14, he says, so ask whatever you want in my name, and I'll do it for you. Jesus telling his church, telling us, being very clear to us, this is what the church should be. And so over the past 27 weeks on this journey with the Lord through this this series. Over the past 27 weeks, we have been learning how to be a house of miracles, all the things and all the different, different parts that goes into to that. And we started off talking about the miracle of salvation and what a miracle it is, man. The miracle of salvation, how Jesus made us right with the Father, right? Incredible how we first must put our full belief, our full trust, our full confidence found in Christ and Christ alone. That's the miracle of salvation. Then we went to the miracle of intercession. Talking about standing in the gap through prayer 
for our friends, our families, and our communities. And by doing this in intercession, what we are saying, we're sending a very clear message to the enemy. You can't have my friends, you can't have my family, and you cannot have my community. You'll have to go through me to get to them. It's just that simple. I will fight you with every fiber of my being because greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. And so, man, I'm coming at you. I'm not allowing you to touch my people. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen on my watch, enemy. This is the miracle of intercession. Then we went and started talking about watching and, and praying. The miracle of watching and, and praying. Talking about the power of prayer. See, at CWC, it's very simple. We believe in the power of prayer. We believe that the prayers of the righteous prevaileth much. You know why? Because the Bible says so. The Bible tells us that. And so, and so we believe it. And listen to me. One of your greatest weapons is prayer. Period. It is one of your most greatest weapons in your arsenal is, is prayer. This is the best thing you could do for your friends, your family, and your community. Is to pray for them. Lift them up before the throne room of God. I think way too often we think we got to fix things. Like we're the ones that's got to come up with the solutions. Like we're the ones that's, that, that's got to have all the answers. Like we're the ones that's got to come up with the plans. When in reality, if we are a believer, if we pistio in Jesus, then we can pray and then watch as God begins to reveal the solutions, as he begins to unveil the plans, as he begins to give us all the answers. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added, added unto you. It's the power of prayer. Jesus makes this statement. He says, my house, my father's house, my house should be called a house of prayer. So if we want to be, become a house of miracles, then we better become a house of prayer. Believing in the power of prayer, utilizing the power of prayer. The apostle Paul, he speaks to just how important prayer is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying, ever. This is how important and how powerful prayer is. Just don't stop doing it. Constantly in your heart and in your mind, be praying and lifting up those close to you. That's the miracle of watching and praying and trusting and believing in the power of prayer. Then we talked about the miracle of sanctification. And that's always a tough one. The miracle of sanctification. We're cool with the miracle of salvation, but the miracle of sanctification, ooh, that means I got to get rid of me to follow him. I can't have me and him too. I, I got to get rid of one of them. I can't have both. I can't have one foot in and one foot out because then I become a double-minded man and I'm unstable in all my ways. This is, is the tough one, the, the miracle of sanctification, asking the Lord to transform us and to conform us into his image and into his likeness. A people who, who ask God for his discipline because we understand that God disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines his, his child. Man, the discipline that God has put on my life is the grace of God on my life. Thank you, Jesus, you didn't let me keep going down a road I shouldn't have been on. That you stopped me dead in my tracks to send me the way you want me to go. Listen to me, salvation is just the beginning. Because after salvation comes a lifetime of sanctification. Which then led us to the next message, which was one move at a time. I may remember that, Candyland up here. We had Candyland people and all kinds of fun stuff. One move at a time. See, see, typically, we are a people who are very impatient. And so what we want what we want when we want it. And we want it as quickly as we can get it. That's why they call it a microwave society and all those other things. Right? Because we, we want what we want. 
We don't want to have to wait for anything. But see, God typically doesn't, doesn't sanctify us overnight, although he could. I mean, God can do what God wants to do. However, he typically doesn't sanctify us overnight. It, it typically happens one move at a time, one day at a time, one mistake at a time, one failure at a time, one success at a time. It's, it's typically one move at a time. It's one move at a time that God takes us one, from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. This is how he, that's how he does it. One move at a time, the miracle of sanctification. Then Pastor Michael Rice came in and he shared a message with us called Fan or Follower. And he talked to us the difference between the two, the difference between being a fan or being a follower of Jesus. How many of you realize this? If we want to be a house of miracles, we have to be followers, not just fans. Fans are bandwagon jumpers. Followers stay the course. Come on, my dolphins have been terrible for years, but I haven't jumped the bandwagon. I'm still on it, wishing for the days of Marino to come back. <laughs> Living in the... Just... Anyway. Being a follower, not just, not just a fan. And then we went from there and we went into the miracle of testimony because the Bible is very clear that we are overcomers first by the blood of the lamb and then by the word of our testimony. Our testimony has power. It has power, see, because God has saved us. Now we are each walking, talking testimonies, walking, talking miracles of God. And we're supposed to tell people about it. We're supposed to tell them about it. Then we talked about the miracle of breakthrough and God loves he's the god of the breakthrough man he loves to help us break through the obstacles that we're facing temptations that are holding us trials that we're coming up against god is the god of the breakthrough and then we talked about the miracle of choice and then the planned miracle then the now peace pastor micah marshall and then the miracle of resurrection then the clean house and then the the miracle of family and then the mother's miracle and and then the miracle in waiting then the miracle of baptism and the miracle language, and then Pastor Jim preached a message titled Amazement and Wonder. And then we went from there, and we went to when the shift hits the fan. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I enjoyed that message. I thought that was fun. <clears throat> when the shift hits the fan, talking about how when the Spirit of God shows up, man, things can get messy. Because the wind blows. You don't know where it blows or where it comes from. You can just feel him coming. That's what Jesus said. So it will be with the Holy Spirit. You won't know where, but he'll be there. It's amazing. When the shift hits the fan, then into a man who leads, talking about men taking their rightful place in the community and in the families to be the spiritual leaders of their home, praying for their families, interceding for their families, setting the spiritual temperature in their homes, not their wives. The men, because God said so. Because God said it. And so that's what we need to be doing as men. God's calling forth men who are hungry for him that will give him everything, that aren't worried about anything. Just you, Jesus. Jesus, it's you. This is a man who leads. And then Michael Dow, Evangelist Michael Dow, preached the, the miracle power. It's amazing. And then last week, Freedom Sunday. Come on, somebody. Preached on the miracle of freedom. How beautiful it is to be free this morning. Free from all my sin, shame, and guilt. Free from all that garbage because of what the Lord did for me. And everyone, every single one of these messages, right, was trying to reveal to us how we can be a house of miracles, how we can be a church that is fulfilling the mandate that God has placed on our lives. 
This will be, come on, tell your neighbor, this will be a house of miracles. Yeah, this will be. In the last several weeks, man, the last several weeks we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, right? Being baptized and filled with the Spirit of the living God. Having God himself living in us and working through us. This is what we've been dealing with the past several weeks. And, and man, this is so, so very important. Because the Holy Spirit is a necessity, not just a commodity to us. To every single person, he is a necessity. We have to have him. And this can't be overstated. And I've shared this with you on multiple different occasions that if we aren't filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit, man, we're not going to make it through the times and the months and even the years that we're walking into. If we thought persecution was bad now, we ain't seen nothing yet. Jesus is clear. In this life, you're going to face trials. The world hated me, so it's going to hate you. You're going to face persecution when that day comes. And so if we aren't filled with the Holy Spirit, we won't, we won't make it through it. And so we've talked about that quite a bit, making sure that we're asking to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we, and we mainly focused on the person of the Holy Spirit because way too often, man, we, we relegate him to just a power or a presence, some, some abstract being. And although he's, he's that, but he's, but he's much more, more than that. See, the Holy Spirit is God. He's a part of the Godhead, right? Father, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's what he's, that he is God himself, okay? And so we, we, we cannot afford to relegate him to some feeling, although through him we feel God. The Holy Spirit causes us to feel God. Now, now hear me, hear me. God is not dictated by our emotions. That, that's, that's not at all what I'm saying to you. But our emotions allow us to, to feel God, it's one of the ways that God connects with his people through our feelings. This is why at times we're in worship and, and, and you got your arms up and you start crying. Tears just streaming down your, down your face, looking all crazy. You know what I mean, ugly crying. No, no, it make no sense. People looking at you like, are you having fun right now? I'm having a great time. It's amazing. Right? Like, other times we're super excited, so we're jumping up and down and we're shouting and we're clapping because, man, the spirit of God is here. And God is connected with us through his, his spirit and we can feel him all around us. God is meant to be felt. At the same time, he's not meant to be dictated by our feelings. Listen, there's going to be times in your life where you're not going to feel the love of God. You're not going to feel like it. You're not going to feel even the presence of God. There's, there's times where we walk through, man, where, where we don't feel God, but we got to know God's there. Even when I can't see it, he's working. Even when I can't feel it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. So there's going to be times that you're not going to have to worry about the feeling. You're just going to have to know the truth. This is the truth, and I know I don't feel it, but I trust it. But I trust him. But, but God is meant to be felt, but not, not dictated by our feelings. And, man, I don't know about you. I, I don't know what people do in this life if they can't feel God. I really, I really I, I don't know how they do it. I, I don't know. How do you make it through life and not feel his love, not feel his joy, not feel his pleasure? I really don't under, understand it. Listen to me. Religion will remove all feeling. Religion removes all feeling. Here's why. Religion has to control you. It has to dictate to you what you are to do. That's what religion does. So religion's got to remove feeling because you can't control feeling. And so, 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 so religion removes feeling while relationship makes way for feeling. It says, I love you so much. I want you to feel it. 
I want you to experience it. This is what Jesus did for us. This is what God does for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's amazing. He's amazing. And so over the past several weeks, right, we've, we've talked about the Holy Spirit, focusing on the person of the Holy Spirit and how he, he gives us gifts when he fills us and baptizes us. He will give us his gifts. Now, I only got to teach on, on, on one of the gifts, but I, but I do really believe this. I believe that God will bring us back to the gifts of the Holy Spirit to go through each and every one of them and teach them straight down through. I just felt like right now God was saying it's not the time right now. It's not the time. Cool, Lord, whatever. But I did feel like we'll get back there, and I'm excited about that. But, but the gift that I did get to teach on was the gift of speaking in tongues, right? A heavenly language, our prayer language, which is what Paul was saying there at the beginning, whether I speak in tongues of men or tongues of angels, having a heavenly prayer language that communicates with the perfect will of the Father. And the reason that the Lord told me to speak, speak on that is because, man, it's, it has so much controversy surrounding it. I mean, churches are all separated up because of, because of speaking in tongues. Some, oh, I believe in prophecy, but not tongues. I believe in healing, but, but not tongues. I, I believe, right? So, so God was like, no, I want you to, to teach on it. I don't have time to recap all that message, but you can go listen to it, the miracle language. And I'm telling you, God made it very clear and very plain in that message, which I was so excited about. I was like, wow, Lord, that is so easy to hear. Maybe not easy to receive, is not what I'm saying, but easy to understand. But one of the things that we, we talked about over these past several weeks is this, that we must desire all the gifts of the Spirit. We didn't get to teach on them, but we did talk about how we need to desire every single one of them. Jesus says this, you receive not because you ask not. In other words, closed mouths don't get fed. If you don't open your mouth and ask for it, I'm not going to give it. I'm not going to give it to you. So, so you, need to, you need to be asking for it. We have to be a people who are filled by his spirit and desire his gifts. Right? A people who desire to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And hear me, every single gift of the Holy Spirit is meant to build up the entire body except the one that I taught on. Speaking in tongues is the only one meant to build yourself up in your most holy faith by praying in the Holy Spirit. It's the only one meant to build yourself up. Every other gift of the Holy Spirit is meant to build everybody else up. Everyone around you. That's what, they're, that's what they're for. And so if we're a church and we're operating in the gifts, then, man, those in our church should be built up by them gifts, encouraged by them gifts. And the fact is this. If, if we find ourselves in a place where we aren't desiring the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the truth is we're robbing the people of God. We're robbing the body of Christ. I'll just say it really easy for you. Listen, I need you to seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has for you because I know that God will use you in the moment that, that I need the help that I need and the encouragement I need. I know God will use you with whatever gift he gives you. So I need you to ask him, Lord, fill me with your spirit and give me the gifts because there's seasons we all need help. We all need encouraged. And that's what the gifts do. They encourage and they help the entire body. When we aren't seeking the gifts, we are robbing the body of Christ. It's just that clear and simple. You know, I've heard people actually say this. They've said, don't seek the gifts. Seek the giver of the gifts. Okay. And I might even have said that at one point in time in my younger years. But, but that's actually not biblical, by the way. It's actually not biblical. I don't remember saying it, but I don't want to say I'd never said it. Who knows? And I get, I get what people are saying. Like gifts cannot take precedent over Jesus. I get it. And you're absolutely right. Jesus has got to be the center of it all. He's got to be the center. 
But the Bible teaches this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting in verse 1. He says, earnestly desire, eagerly seek the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That to me sounds like we should be asking for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul's super clear. Earnestly, eagerly go after these gifts. See, we got to be a people asking for the gifts. And the Apostle Paul makes sure that we know what we're asking for. He makes sure of it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He actually gives a list of the different gifts. He gives a list for us. He says to one is given the gift of wisdom. To another, the gift of knowledge. To another, the gift of faith. To another, the gift of, of healing. These are all the, the different kinds of gifts that, that God is, is, is wanting to give his people. To another, the, the gift of working of miracles. And to another, the, the gift of prophecy. To another, the discerning between spirits. Having discernment, knowing if this is from God or not from God. Knowing that when people come up to give you a word or they say something to you to know right away, wait, oh, that ain't God. Mm -mm. You can keep that. Take that with you. You ain't leaving that with me. That's a gift discerning between spirits. Spirits, the gift of the various kinds of tongues, speaking in tongues to another still is given the interpretation of tongues. Being able to interpret a tongue that someone gives. And we're to ask Jesus for these gifts. Go right through the list. Lord, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Give me prophecy. Give me healing. God, help me. Give me the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues so that I can, I can build up the body. Lord, give me the gifts that you desire for me to have. Now, the Bible goes on to say this, that, that, that the Spirit gives to each one as he desires. But that is not for you to know. You to, what your job is to ask for all of them then the Spirit will decide who gets what. We're not to decipher that. Like, like we can't treat God, and I said this before, like he's a buffet. Like, oh, I'll take the healing part. That's pretty cool, right? Like, that's super cool. And yeah, and I'll take prophecy. Yeah, that sounds fun. Wisdom, I like wisdom, because I like being smarter than everybody in the room. So I'll take wisdom. But speaking in tongues, eh, I'm cool. That's a little weird. <laughs> I don't want that. See, we can't do that. That's why the Bible says we seek and earnestly desire all the gifts. Then the Spirit will give as he sees fit. We've got to be a church who wants to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit because a church that's operating in the gifts will be a church that's building the kingdom of God on the earth. We'll be a church who is having heaven invade the earth. A church that is saying, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, God, as it is in heaven. This is why we got to desire and earnestly seek the gifts. And listen, all that is, is true and all that is so good because it's all God. It's all good. It's all God. But there's, there's one thing that we cannot afford to overlook. That we cannot afford to, to, to leave out of the equation while we're seeking these gifts. And that's love. We can't afford to leave love out of it. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Known as the love chapter, right? How many of you had that read at your wedding? Or maybe you're saying, I don't even remember my wedding. It was too long ago. But yeah. Everybody reads it at, at weddings, although it's completely out of context. It's still, it's nice. <laughs> it's out of context, but okay. It's all good. It's the love chapter that people call it. See, Paul's writing this letter to a, a church in the city of Corinth. 
Okay, It's a church that he actually started. He planted the church, and, and this is what Paul does. He goes and he plants these churches in different cities, Ephesus and Thessalonica and Corinth. And, Corinth. and, and he goes around, he plants these churches, but then he goes and keeps building the body of Christ. That was the call in his life. He was an apostle. He was a builder and a sender. This is what he did. But when he left the city of Corinth, the church, man, these people, they got all out of whack. They got all out of whack. Their love was, was all out of whack. And so they found themselves with their hearts corrupted. And they found themselves living in some really deep sin issues. Matter of fact, I call the church in Corinth, Christians gone wild because they went wild. They're doing all kinds of stuff. Like, wow. But this is what's happening. But they also had this deep desire for the supernatural. They had majored in the supernatural. They were super excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, man. Super excited. They were excited about tongues. They were excited about prophecy. They were excited about healings and signs and wonders. These people are having angelic experiences. Angels are showing up in their midst and they're seeing it. God is allowing them to experience the supernatural. And again, it's all super cool and it's all good because it's all God. But the problem was their love was out of whack. And they couldn't get along with one another. They couldn't even get along with one another. And so Paul writes in chapter 13, the love chapter, he's telling him, he said, whoa, whoa, wait, guys, 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 what are, you, what are you doing? Hold up, hold up, knock all that off. He says, your doctrine is out of whack, your theology is all out of balance, and now your, your love is all screwed up because of it. And I'm telling you this, man, the, the church of 2021 needs to hear this message in this chapter as much as the church of Corinth did. I don't even know when in AD it was, was, was started, 62 or something. We need it just as much today as they needed it back then. We live in a very divisive time. Over the past couple years, I mean, tensions have been at an all-time high. Everybody at each other's throat. In churches, outside of churches, don't really matter. Everybody, everybody just going back and forth and going after each other. And so I don't know about anyone else, but I think the, the world, the society could use a little bit more, more love in their life. The churches need to start focusing on loving one another. Loving each other better inside the walls. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to, to get across in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're just going to read straight through the whole chapter again. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to move quickly for you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, this is what Paul says. He says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, again, whether I'm preaching to you and teaching that you can understand or I'm praying in a heavenly language, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging symbol. And I'm going to come over here to the drums so I can illustrate exactly what Paul is trying to reveal to you, right? Look at that. Nice. I like it. Sound effects. Yeah, so, so this is what, what Paul is saying here, okay? Because you got to see what he's, he's saying. So Paul is saying this. He's saying, look, if, if I'm sitting in church service, man, and I, I got my hands lifted, I got tears running down my face and I'm worshiping in the Holy Spirit. I'm worshiping in tongues and I'm Shandan and Rahan. I'm up in the second heavens with, with the angels and the third heavens. I'm floating around and I'm all up in there. And I'm super excited about it. And I'm, and I'm so grateful to God for this experience that I'm having. But then when I turn around and I sit down, I'm, I'm rude to my neighbor. I look at him and say, oh, well, you know what? You, you, you smell like you didn't shower last night. Scoot down like four seats. You know what I mean? Like we start shoving people over. Right, like, get, get, get back, get, get away from me. He's saying, this is what God hears. That's what God hears 
when we're worshiping him in the spirit, speaking in tongues, but then with our lips, but then not loving in our hearts. He says, this is, it's no good. God ain't hearing anything that you're saying. Nothing at all. Instead, all he's hearing is, that's all he's hearing. That's all he's hearing. That's really annoying. That even annoyed me and I was the one hitting it. Like a kid learning how to play drums. Woo! Praise God. One of the most annoying sounds ever. But I pray, Lord, don't let my kid want to play drums. That's tough. It's, it's super, super annoying to God to hear us act all spiritual with our lips, but then not love our neighbor. That's what God hears is a clanging cymbal when we do that crap. See, if we're looking down at people, talking bad to people, talking bad about people, gossiping about people, treating people as if we're somehow greater than or something or acting like we're better than them, but then turn around and try to give God glory with our mouth, with the same mouth that talked crazy about someone else the other day. He says, all I hear is clanging cymbals. I'm not hearing a word you just said. I'm not hearing at all. Paul is actually saying this. This is what he says. He says, you can speak in tongues, but miss the mark in following Jesus. Ooh. You can be as spiritual as you want to be and still miss the mark in following Christ. He moves on into verse 2, and he says this. If I have the gift of prophecy, which, by the way, I I love the prophetic. The prophetic is amazing to me. It's incredible, man, to have people speak what's on the heart of the Father, have people reveal to you what God is saying and what God is seeing and be able to tell you what's happening in the supernatural and bring it to the natural. It's, It's amazing. It's amazing. But Paul says this. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge in other words, if he is from Boston, he'd say, if I was wicked smart, right? This is what he would be saying. I just really like that. I don't know. If I'm wicked smart, he says, and if I have faith that can move mountains, if I, have, if I have the faith the size of a mustard seed and I can tell a mountain to be cast into the sea and it has to obey me, if I have the, the faith to speak to any situation in my life and any situation in your life and I can speak to that thing by faith that God's going to remove it and that's the type of big faith I have, but I do not love, I am nothing. I have nothing. And listen, Paul, Paul isn't saying here that all these things aren't important, like some people love to interpret it. People will read this and say, well, Paul's saying prophecy and tongues aren't important. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that. He isn't saying revelation isn't important. He isn't saying prophesying isn't important. He isn't saying speaking in tongues isn't important. And of course, faith is important because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you got to have faith. What Paul is saying is, is this. He says, but all these gifts must be rooted and founded in love. Every single one of them, because if they're not, I'm going to spare you again. Sounds like a clinging symbol. Sounds like that to God. And not only, oh, I about went for it. Not only does it sound like that to God, guess, guess who else it sounds like that to? The world. The people outside the church. That's what they hear too. The same exact thing. When we're not living what we're preaching. When we're not loving. Instead, we're rather to be speaking in tongues, but we're not loving our neighbor. 
You know, something that the Lord has been speaking to me personally during my own time with him and prayer time and what God has been speaking to me through the people who speak prophetically into my life, all of them saying the same thing in every different stream, they're all saying the exact same thing to me. And this is what God is saying. If we don't figure out how to love in the church, there's no way people outside the church are gonna wanna come into the church. We better figure out how to love each other inside these walls. Because if we don't, everything we do sounds like that. Super annoying. We sound super annoyingly hypocritical to the world if we're not loving in here. We can do all the cool programs in the world, man. Community Kids Weekly. We can do all these awesome outreach programs, which we do, by the way. I mean, we could throw the best carnival that Tyrone and the surrounding areas have seen yet in nine years that we've done it. We could, we could throw the best one. We're going to try. I promise you that. In September, September 4th, we're going to try it. We're going to go for it. But we can do that. But if we aren't loving each other, it all sounds like clinging symbols. Don't sound good at all. We must be a people who love each other, a people who care for each other, a people who build each other up, encourage each other so that God will see it, then pour out his favor upon it, pour his spirit out upon us. And then when those outside the church see how we love everybody inside the church, they'll start flooding the church then. Then they'll come running. Because I promise you this, people have a deep desire to feel loved. People have got an innate sense inside of them to want to be accepted. I promise you, this is why we see people get into all kinds of trouble. They just want to be accepted. They just want to feel loved. And so they do all kinds of things in order to feel that. It's obviously perverted and all those different things, but, but that's the reason they do it. You know, I read this stat the other day. 4.4 billion people out of the 8 billion people in the world, 4.4 billion of them don't feel loved and accepted. What? Four point at sixty percent of the population of the world don't feel loved and accepted. What I see there is a great harvest for the kingdom. <laughs> if the kingdom's loving the way the kingdom should be loving inside the building, then those outside the building will come in. We've got to be a people who are loving one another. And this is the message, right, that Paul's trying to get across to the church of Corinth. See, this church has gotten so consumed with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're so consumed by them. They're so consumed by their ability to speak mysteries and revelation of the gospel and of the word of God. They're so consumed with their big faith that can move mountains. They're having all these great church services where angels are showing up in their midst and they're seeing the angelic hosts. They're seeing it. They're seeing them all around them. And man, they're experiencing God. God is the one pouring out the supernatural upon them. But yet they weren't loving one another. And Paul says, man, you can have all that. But if you do it without love, it's that. You sound so annoying to God and to everyone around you. He goes on into verse 3 and he says this, if I give all I possess to the poor. Interesting because Paul separates giving and loving. Typically, we connect the two. Right? For God so loved the world that he gave. Right? So we're always connecting, giving, and loving. But Paul here separates it. He says, oh, no, no. You can be incredibly giving and still not loving. Let me, let me give you an example of that. It, it would be sort of like this. I, I, you know, we get done with church. It's after the 1030 connection time, you guys. And I'm walking through, and I'm shaking hands and kissing babies. Right? And I run into to Matt, and I'm like, and Matt walks up. He says, hey, hey pastor, I, I really need you to pray for me. 
because I'm having a financial problem. Cool, Matt, no problem. I'll pray for you, but then God puts on my heart to give to him. And I say, well, let me not just pray for you. What, what, do you, what, what does your need? And I go empty out my bank account and pay for his need. Now, you only get a, probably a gallon of gas or two. Like, it might fill your truck up, but that's it. But it's the thought that counts, Matthew. And so <clears throat> if I empty my bank account and pay whatever it is he needs paid, and then after I do all that, I go home and I yell at my wife, treat my kids bad, berate them, belittle them. This, this is what Paul is saying. He's saying you can be all the giving you want to be, but if you can't love the people right in front of you and love them well, then you have nothing. You can give everything away, and it won't mean diddly squat to God. It won't mean anything. And just for the record, it's never happened. I don't yell. I'm too spiritual for that. I'm just saying. My, my wife yells at me. I'm super docile, like I said. <clears throat> this is what Paul says. This is what he's trying to get across, man. You can be generous and still not be loving. And here's the thing we can't afford to miss being loving because 4.4 billion people need us to be loving. They need it. They're depending on it. And God's depending on us to give it to them. Did you know that? That's our job as the church. Man, we can't be a people who come in and have all these amazing church services and God's giving us all this incredible breakthrough in our lives, breaking through addictions and, and pornography and all these different things, issues that life throw at us. We, we can't be breaking through those things only to turn around and go home and smack our wife or scream at our husbands or belittle our kids or be mean to our coworkers and our neighbors. It's, it's not worth nothing at that point. We can't be a people who give all we have to the poor, but then treat people poorly. It's not godly. We've got to be a people who are loving one another. And this is the message for 2021, man. It, it really is. We're seeing so much hate around us and surrounding us. The world needs us to show them what love looks like. They already see what hate looks like. Did you know the world don't need us to go on Facebook and attack people for their political views? They don't need it. They really don't. I'm just telling you. They don't need us to do that. They have that enough of everybody else. And we've got to be full of love and full of truth. Full of grace, full of truth. We've got to be loving each other. Man, we can't be a church that every single one of us speak in tongues and multiple ones of us are prophesying and a bunch of us are seeing visions and dreams and angelic experiences, but then not loving each other. And then just not loving each other, but, but instead we're fighting with each other instead of fighting for each other. No, 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 that cannot, cannot happen. But do you know what I found out about love? This is what I've found out about it in all my years of living, praise the Lord. Super old, super wise. But, <clears throat> but what I have found out about love is this, is typically when I'm not, I'm not living in a loving manner and I'm not loving someone well, it typically has very little to do with the person that I'm not loving well and everything to do with what's happening on the inside of me. I, I, that, that's what I've found to be so true. It typically has very little to do with them, but a lot to do with me, what's happening in me. The old adage, hurting people hurt people, is very true. It's super true. See, sometimes when, when I'm not loving people properly, it's because I'm hurting and I'm broken on the inside, and I need God to heal something. And here's the thing about the heart. The heart is what gives and receives love. That's, that's, that's where love comes from. It's, from. it's from our heart. This is why the Bible says, above all else, guard your heart. Because it's 
where love comes from and where love is received. And so look, if our hearts get corrupted in life, that will cause us to hurt and reject others and say hurtful things to others because our hearts are corrupted. It's true. And see, what happens in life is simply this. When, we, when we're born, we're, we're born with a clean heart. Our hearts are fine. Nothing wrong with it. But then life happens, and we go through life, and then things happen. People are mean to us. They say mean things to us. They do mean things to us, which then corrupts our hearts. Then it corrupts our hearts. Maybe it's even people that are supposed to biologically love us, like a mom or a dad or a brother, sister, aunt, uncle, or grandma, grandpa. And, and they didn't love us. Sometimes they don't love us. Sometimes they're not kind to us. Sometimes they're mean to us. And because that happens to us, now our hearts are, are corrupted. And we have a hard time receiving love or giving, giving love. So the Bible says, above all else, guard your hearts. Because from your heart will flow the issues of life. How you will respond to life will be what's happening on the inside of your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? This is how we give and receive love. See, sometimes what's happening on the inside of us causes us to reject others and not love others. Because we've been rejected and we've been hurt. And so then what do we got to do? Well, we got to ask God to purify our hearts, to, clean, to cleanse our hearts with his love. That's how God ends up restoring our hearts is through this extravagant love. See, we need the Holy Spirit to heal us from the inside out so that we can begin to receive love and accept love from others so that then we can give love and accept others. The greatest thing that we can do on this planet earth is to love one another. The chief commandment is not you better speak in tongues. It's not you better prophesy. It's not you better see angelic visions and dreams. No, no, no. Those are all good, but that's not the commandment. The commandment is to love your God with your whole heart, with all your mind and all your body and all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Paul then takes it a step further, further on in, in verse 3, and he says this, if I give my body over to hardships so that I may boast, but do not love, I gain nothing. This is what he's saying. We can suffer for the gospel and still not live according to the gospel. Wow. We can literally suffer but not live according to the gospel. Did you know 1 Samuel chapter 15 says it this way? Obedience is better than sacrifice. And I got one more story for you, and then we're going to start wrapping this up. I can remember when Jules and I first got married, right? And, and, and listen, I can be extremely OCD in certain areas, right? Like not in every area, but certain areas, how I like things clean, the like way I like things put together. I'm very, I, I know what I like, you know? And so... When we first got married, because my wife's a lot more laid back than I am, okay? So especially in that area. Typically, I'm more laid back, but, but in this area anyway, I'm not that laid back. So I want it done a certain way. And so early on in marriage, I'm young, dumb, don't understand this. And it's causing a ton of friction in our marriage. I'm talking a ton. And I can remember the Lord brought this to me. Obedience is better than sacrifice, son. And he said this to me, I'll never forget. He said, I commanded you to love your wife as I love the church that I gave my life for the church. And he started saying to me, he said, all this time that you're spending fasting, suffering by fasting, 
and praying, spending hours and days and weeks fasting and, and spending all this time with me praying in order to draw closer to me don't mean a hill of beans to me if you're not loving your wife. You can suffer all you want, but if you don't love her, it ain't worth a plug nickel. It's not worth anything. And I, and I realize it, just, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how much I fast. It, it doesn't matter how much I try to share in the sufferings of Christ in order to, by any means necessary, attain to the resurrection of Christ. If I'm not loving my wife, none of that matters. If I'm not loving any of those around me, all those around me, then none of that matters. I can suffer all I want. And it's a resounding gong, a clanging symbol to God. He ain't hearing any of it. It's useless. How we suffer for the gospel isn't the most important thing we can do on this earth. It's how we love, how we love one another. Because God himself is love. God doesn't do love. God doesn't speak in a loving manner. and He doesn't just act lovingly. He himself is love. So if we want to show people Jesus, then we love them. That shows them. That shows them. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, the apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Oh, one, no one, owe no one nothing. Don't owe anyone except for love. He's like, Everyone, owe everybody love, love everybody. Because the one who loves another fulfills the law of God. What? Wow. That's the premium that God puts on love. The apostle Paul then goes on, I didn't read this earlier. But, but we'll go through it really quickly here. Then he goes on into, into verse 4, and he begins to tell us what love does. And listen, love does because love is a choice. It's an action. It's not just a feeling. Like, it's more than a feeling, right? It's more than that. It's an action, and it's a choice. And he says, love does because love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. And so now he goes on. Not only does it do, but it also does not, right, love. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no tally of wrongdoing. Which, by the way, husbands, memorize that verse. You can tell your wives, right? Like, hey, you can't hold my wrongdoings yesterday over my head because love keeps no tally of wrongdoing. I use it all the time. It works. You're welcome. <laughs> love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes, and it always perseveres. This is what love does and what love does not do. And Paul gives us both sides of it. And so if we want to know if we're living lovingly, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Look at verse 4 and start reading. Are your actions lining up with the actions of love or not? It tells us very clearly. Verse 8, he opens it up by saying, why is love so important? Because love never fails. It never fails. This is why it's the most important thing for us to do. Prophecy is going to pass away. It's, it's, it's gone. Tongues are coming to an end one day. But, but love never fails. This is why God never fails us. This is why he never leaves us nor forsake us because God is love. But, there, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and so we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Paul very simply saying this, that we better love because love himself is about to return. He's coming back. And the only people that love will recognize will be those that loved. That's what Paul's saying. 
Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, on that day, talking about the great day of judgment, when he returns riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, with a sword coming out of his mouth and a robe dipped in blood, tattooed on his thigh, king of kings and lord of lords. On that day, when he comes riding on the clouds, striking down all who oppose him, this is what he says, on that day, which Paul refers to as the day of completeness, on that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? Didn't I heal many sick people in your name? And he said, I'll look at them and I will say to them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Because love will only recognize love. That's what it's saying. We got to be a people who are operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it's all got to be rooted in love. Because love is the most important thing that we can be doing being a people who operate with those around us in love. This is the bride that the Father will present to the Son, the bride that loves. This is the bride that Jesus is coming back to get one day, one without spot, blemish, or wrinkle, the bride that, that loves. He goes on into verse 11. He says this. He says, when I was a child, I, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Do you know, as children, we never had to be taught to be selfish. We just were selfish. That's my toy, and I want your toy, too. That's what we do. I got a five-year-old. My Lord. Everything's his what we do we don't have to teach children that they just they just are selfish and this is what paul is saying put away childish things because you're a man you're grown up you're an adult stop it knock it off quit being selfish see the issue that a lot of people have is they don't want to grow up they want to continue to be a toys r us kid that's what they want so they don't want to grow up they they just just want to stay a kid i I don't want to be peter pan i want to be you know neverland whatever i just want to stay a kid But see, if we don't grow up, we can't love the way God tells us we've got to love. We can't put others above ourselves. Children just don't do that. They're taught that. They learn that over time. See, we've got to grow up so that we can get our love up. That's what Paul said. Grow up so you can get your love up. Verse verse 12, he says this, For now we see only in a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Simply, simply saying, right now we don't fully understand all this. We don't fully even understand, understand love. But when we meet Jesus face to face, we'll fully understand it. Because we'll fully understand his love for us. If we want to start loving people, loving others, we better be asking God to reveal his love to us. See, the Bible is clear. It says this, that, that we love Because he first loved us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So if we desire to love others, we better understand he loves us. And oh, does he love us. He goes on, he says, and now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Come on, someone shout love. Love. We must be a people who love because love will remain. Heaven and earth will pass away. Prophecy will pass away. Tongues will pass away. All that stuff is is no longer going to be here. It won't have to be because we'll be in the completeness of our king. We will be perfected in him because he will be right with us. So we won't need those things then. It'll go away then. But love will remain. This is the greatest thing that we can all do to one another. It's not speaking in tongues. It's not prophesying. It's not 
having visions and dreams. All those, those things are amazing. And we're believing God for them because they're good and they're from God. But the greatest thing we can do is love. Come on, stand to your feet, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just pray for you quickly. Yeah. Lord, you see every heart in this place. You see the hurt, the rejection. Father, you see all of that right now. And I pray right now that your love would completely cleanse completely cleanse all the hurt and rejection that people have experienced over their lives. I pray that right now. I pray that your perfect love would cast out all fear in the room. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray each and every one of us would have a brand new revelation of your love towards us. And I pray by the Holy Spirit you would empower us to love one another and love each other well. To fight for each other and not against each other. Lord, I bless your people today. I pray your favor upon them. I pray health upon them. I pray your spirit of wisdom and revelation upon them. Help us to be a people who love one another deeply and sincerely. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen.